Hey, welcome to episode 14 of Generator, and this week I get to speak to my great friend, Johnny Edward. If you don't know Johnny, you should. His work is extraordinary. In, in my eyes, he's probably one of the better portrait photographers in the United States today. I had the chance to head out to Colorado recently to attend, as a student, his Artistic Alchemy Workshop. This workshop is essentially focused on lighting, but it's really about finding your creative voice. Johnny's a phenomenal educator and holds absolutely nothing back when he teaches. He gives you his entire process top to bottom. This conversation we had was in his studio a night or two prior to the workshop, and it was Johnny and I just talking like we always do. We had gone out to dinner, we came back to his studio, I set up some equipment, and we just recorded the conversation. Now, there are some audio glitches here and there, please bear with them, but we had no intention of recording this podcast. I just threw some microphones on us and we went with it. So what you're about to hear is a real conversation that Johnny and I have all the time and is an extension of the things that we were talking about at dinner. There are plenty of F-bombs, so you may not want to have the kids in the car while you listen to this, but this is as real as it gets. So let's start the show with my friend, Johnny Edward. overall yeah uh, i think um leading up to the workshop obviously that's coming up here in a couple of days i always get a lot of can sort of end face so i think that's one of the funny things like i have a lot of friends who want to get into education and they're like well you know i feel nervous going into it i'm like yeah you should like i don't think there's ever going to be a point when i'm not anxious or nervous going into this because it means a lot to me yeah and it's sort of like stage fright you know so many broadway performers still puke before shows sorry if you're sensitive out there uh but it's one of those things. So I think I, I always want to over deliver. So I put a lot of pressure on myself. So if I, right now I'm just feeling pressure, but it's nothing external. It's just internal. And it's, it's sort of like trying to turn a piece of coal into a diamond. So I'm forever compressing myself into something more aspirationally. <laughs> Since we kind of dive into the education immediately, there are so many people that are coming out, right? Yeah. Not only because I think bookings are probably down across the board. So folks are trying to diversify. How do they do that? Well, you see a lot of um, gurus online saying you can sell this course or that course. And, you know, every agency in the world and the Kajabis and the Learn Worlds and whatnot are always selling stuff about how easy it is to create a course with AI and then just sell it. And then you're a millionaire overnight. And I think there's so much that you have to sift through with that. Once you find your collection of educators, then you have to figure out which are the ones that really resonate with you. Do they have any level of pedigree behind them? Do these sound like everybody else? What is it that they're doing? What are the gaps in my own education? Do I need what they're offering or do I just want to go touch the magic and be at that workshop? Am I going to the workshop to learn anything? So I think people look at education, especially people that keep a steep mindset and want to get better over and over. It's, it's getting harder and harder to find trusted educators, right? Because if everybody's selling something for $49, then, you know, it's easy to buy that and it's easy to dismiss it too. Yeah. 
So I've always been of the, the type, well, I buy a ton of online courses that I rarely ever watch. I have probably everything that's ever been made. All of them. All <laughs> and I've watched 1%. I've watched 1% of that all the way through. Oh my God. Yeah. You, you get distracted and you're just kind of like, all right, well, yep. That was 14 minutes of my life. I'll never get back. Yep. I think that's why I come to workshops like this because coming as a student to learn I go to probably one, maybe two a year, and I'm not talking conferences and whatnot, but like actual workshop. And I haven't done one in a couple of years. I don't think I was hot and heavy for a while, Parker, and did some work with Felix and kind of bounced around and saw a lot of different educators, but I've been kind of out of that space and I feel it because I'm not producing work that stimulates me. And so whenever I feel that I'm like, I need to get back in the classroom. I need to learn some things or at least brush up on things that I've forgotten. Do you find that when people come to workshops, what do you see the intention as? Are they coming to learn? Are they coming to touch the magic? Are they coming to shoot in a studio like this and build a portfolio? What do you see? Because there's no right or wrong answer. Everybody's got their own reasons, but what do you see in a lot of? I think, I think it's, there's a big variety, like with all things. I think for this, in terms of like the workshops that I run, um, people tend to come because they want to reconnect to themselves and their art in a meaningful way. And I know that's a big vagary, um, but a lot of times people who are running businesses, often very successful businesses, and they're going through the motion. So they're doing head shops, corporate branding, commercial work, whatever that might be. But there's a dissonance in terms of them actually feeling impassioned to pick up their cameras and to create, or for them in terms of creating work that's actually significant to them. So they're not either not setting aside time for whatever reasons to create for themselves, or they are creating for themselves and they're feeling unfulfilled and disconnected from what they're creating. So, I mean, these workshops tend to be a sort of manic chaotic mess of, of creative energy. And so people come in and they're challenged to do different things and try different things. And they're exposed to different types of individuals and so much diversity and inclusivity and ways of lighting and ways of styling and ways of building sets. So it's literally this overwhelming two days that I think is almost short circuiting, but that it's almost planting the seeds so that they could take that back and do something hopefully more substantial for themselves. Um, and that's the way that I try and differentiate myself. There's so much work out there on how to do a single lighting setup right. and you measure out a light from here to here and it's exactly 45 degrees and you have a Rembrandt triangle. That's all very formulaic and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that there is merit in formula or how to make your first 5k sale, 10k sale, how to be a six figure photographer. That there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously we have to make money. Um, but I don't have any interest in teaching that. That's already an oversaturated marketplace. So I wanted to say, hey, like, let's get fucking weird. Let's fuck it up. Let's address what's challenging us. And obviously that's different for each individual. And let's come together as a community and say like, hey, ultimately we're all vying for the same thing. And that is we want to create powerful art that resonates with us and hopefully do some good in the world in that process, whether it's for the people in front of our lens or the people who are viewing our work or ideally both of those things. People tend to come here because they want to reconnect with themselves. And in some cases, it's just because they want to hang out. There is that. Some people want to come and say, hey, like, I'm really there to go out, go out for dinner and have a couple of tequila shots right. or whatever that might be. Some people come here simply because they know the type of diversity that I work with. We're going to work with 10 to 12 different models. So if you're trying to build your book, this is a great place to do it. Um, some people come here because they just want to spend time with, with me when I don't know why anyone would want to do that. But I, I think it varies. But ultimately, I think the, the tide that's sort of fine for, for everyone, including myself, is wanting to create from a place of individuality and authenticity and do so in a way that lifts people up in that process. Are you seeing that message get across to students before they come in? Like, 
start thinking about these things. What does your art mean to you, right? Because you can give uh, a lecture and an inspirational locker room talk and get people stoked about art and then start shooting and they fall into the, the, the rhythm of just shooting in the studio without thinking about what they're trying to say or what they're trying to do. There hasn't been too much talk in the past couple of years about the self-value side of yeah. life and the mental health side of things. I've seen in the workshops that I've gone to, it's probably about a 50-50 split where you have people that are coming in that have their voice and want to figure out how to refine it, make it sharper. And then you have a lot of folks that come in that don't know, maybe exploring, maybe they're just kind of kicking the tires on this style or that stuff. Maybe they've never done fashion or never even worked with constant lights or strobes and they're trying to figure out what they want. Both are valid. It's easy to sell technique. It's easy to sell um, process and workflows. It's harder to sell thought, yeah, right? And so what I've seen you do really well, what I've seen Parker Fister do really well is focus on that mental side of what we do, right? Yeah. And make sure that at least if you don't explore it fully, you have an understanding of why you're here and why you're doing the thing. Do you feel like that's pretty common across the education field or do you feel it's it's pretty glossed over and let's just get to the techniques? I, I feel like it's pretty glossed over. Yeah. I think in, inherently if we're talking about the mental side of things, if we're talking about intentionality, if we're talking about purpose, if we're talking about voice, these are inherently intangible elements. Right. So if I'm teaching you how to use one light to achieve moody light, whatever you want to, these words are silly today because moody to you is not moody to me and vice versa. Um, but if that, that's easy because I can say, Hey, we take a seven foot umbrella and we put it roughly in this position and you could jot it down in your notebook, or you can take photos of it. And you're like, well, I have a new technique in my arsenal. Technique is simple to teach and it's straightforward, um, to delve into these other things like intentionality, like purpose, like place, like fulfillment, like voice. Um, it's very murky territory because it's subjective. It's something that we can't physically hold in our hands. Um, so we're, we're sort of working in the ether with that. And I think it's a scary territory for a lot of people. And especially for educators, you would have to have done some serious self work over a period of years or a lifetime to be able to, I think, effectively, I don't even think you could teach it, but guide people to some extent or act as a guidepost for people so that they can discover that for themselves. I don't think that's something I could give to you or anyone else who comes to a workshop. I just hope that I could point you in the right direction so you can unearth that for yourself. But generally speaking, I think that so much in the education industry tends to be fairly vapid. You know, we stay at the very surface of things and you learn some techniques and you're like, here's a new lighting style and you go back and it's not yours. No one's really talking even about the intangible of how to see light. You know, and if we think about all of these workshops and, and sort of education things that I've seen coming out recently, right now there's this big put on constant light. Right. So it's, you know, how to shape constant light, the power of constant light, when it draws people in. I mean, there's no special considerations when you're using a constant light versus a strobe. You know, if you have equal power settings, and that's kind of curious to get into technically, but at equal power, you're going to get the same quality and caliber of light. But for me, it's, I don't want to call it snake oil, but it, it's sort of a cheap money grab because you are taking people who may already be very adept at working with strobes and telling them they now need to come to your class or buy your online tutorial learn how to work with constant light when in reality it's much simpler than working with strobes 
So you're taking a pseudo complicated subject, making it very uncomplicated and then repackaging it as essential knowledge of some sort. And that just comes across as very disingenuous to me. Something that kind of you, you said in there got me thinking about like, I never went to photography school. I never thought I'd ever be a photographer. Right. So I had no plan on doing it. So I have zero formal photography education outside of workshops, online, experiential over 12 years, just doing the thing. But I don't have a lot of that foundational, fundamental photographic knowledge that you used to have to have as a photographer, yeah. as the barriers to entry have dropped, as techniques have become much more approachable, gear is much more affordable. The barrier to entry to photography is pretty low, yeah. right? So what I'm seeing is people that are just not versed in fundamentals, not saying that, that that's even their fault. It's just, we've created an environment where if you just watch these few things, you can produce these beautiful images. And there's like a huge appeal in that, right? And that's what got me into photography. I was just like, I'd love to be able to do that. It must be a really nice camera. So I think we're just forgetting that people have forgotten how to think critically about what it is they're working with, why they're working it, what the look they're trying to get. How do they accomplish that? What is the difference between strobe and constant? I just think we're, we've forgotten to start at the beginning. Yeah. And we're just kind of jumping into the middle of the movie and we're teaching people how to jump in at the middle of the movie and we're skipping all the stuff. Why do you even want to be here? Yeah. I saw that out at TPM all the time. We were talking about this at, at the portrait masters and I'm, I'm working in this booth and I'm trying to help people to the best of my ability. Yeah. You know, everything there is set up so that you can come into this booth and get a beautiful picture with the lighting that's set up. If you know nothing about photography, you can come in, read the settings on the wall, use the trigger, get a beautiful, beautifully exposed photo. Now your direction and all that stuff is up to you, but you can get a beautifully exposed photo. I'd have folks walk up and they say, you know, okay, I'm ready. I'm like, all right, well, what are you going to do? Want to introduce yourself to the model, yeah. you know, talk and maybe figure something out. People were kind of taken back, but I got people thinking about, well, what is it that you want to do? Do you want me to turn this up? Do you want to turn down? Do you want me to move it to the side? Do you want me to lower? Yeah. What do you, what do you need? Well, why the, the settings are there? Yeah. Well, what is, what is the look that you want? And I'm probably oversimplifying, making a huge generalization, but I just don't feel like people are looking at their own art in that way, yeah. thinking about what it is that they want outside of a certain style. I want light and airy. I want contemporary. I want moody. Right. But they're not thinking about why, what's the story. Yeah, very much so. Well, and I think even with that, someone can use one of those parroting words like moody, but like, what does moody actually look like? Right. Is that dead shadows? Is that backlit? Is that this? Is that that? And I mean, I, one of the simplest ways I think to break this down is so often people will come to me at things like this workshop or at conferences and they'll take a photo and they'll show me the back of the camera and they're like, Johnny, what do you think? And, and like an armchair psychotherapist, and I go, what do you think? And they go, well, you know, it's pretty good. I'm like, well, pretty good isn't good or great. So what don't you like? Well, um, there's something about it I just don't like. I'm like, I get that. That's what we're trying to nail down. Well, I mean, well, how, what do you think about the highlights? The highlights are okay. What do you think about the shadows? They're too dark. All right, so the shadows are too dark. Now we have something that we can actively work with. And here are three different ways relative to the gear we have that we can lighten those shadows. Right. 
And is, is it the, just the shadows or is it the whole scene? How does the background look? What else is there? Do we need to isolate the shadows? Or are we doing something more globally? And so if you don't have the ability to deconstruct your own work and even look at it and say, like, this is what I like or don't like, then you don't have the vocabulary to be able to even properly engage and learn it. And so I agree with you. The fundamental aspect of thing is so huge. And we do sort of throw people to the wolves and give them a tool set that allows them to do something in a very narrow range. And they realize they can do that and possibly monetize that. But then as soon as they air off that path, they're completely lost. They don't have a compass. They don't have any idea where they're at. They don't have any idea where they're headed. They don't even know where they want to be, let alone how to go that direction. And so that that's a very frustrating, hopeless feeling. And I think as educators, it's beholden to us to, as much as I loathe the word, like empower people. Yeah. I think it's one of those buzzwords or embolden them or equip them is probably better phrasing with a foundational toolkit with the vocabulary to allow them to communicate effectively visually. And people just don't have that language of going back to it, seeing light, seeing shadow. We, when we were doing the artist forge forever, you know, we were doing these one, two hour podcasts every day and we would teach visual literacy, just getting people exposed to looking at images in different ways. Yep. All right, let's not judge the images at good or bad. What are we seeing? Yep. Is there a story? What's in the foreground? What's in the background? What are the elements? Well, how's the composition? How's the light? You know, parts of the image that a lot of times we just fly right by. Yeah. We don't even think about it because we're only focused on the lighting or the shadows or, oh God, it's too dark. But look at that expression. That expression is everything. Yeah. We might be able to do something in post to get it closer without having to retake that shot. Look at the thing in totality and are you seeing something that feels good to you? Yeah. And if it doesn't, all right, let's let's change it, right? But I think it's that visual literacy part where people just, they're inundated by what's on social media, right? The people that they follow, right? And they're seeing Johnny's style or seeing Matt's style or seeing somebody's style that they want to emulate. And so that's all they see and they forget about their own spin on it. Very much so and the why because if i'm not getting the same light as johnny then i'm not a good photographer and has nothing absolutely nothing to do with that it's interesting to me that i'm finding now again no art school no art history right i read books i try to anyway the words confuse me but you know we were talking oh on the same line we were talking uh outside about uh irving penn peter Lindbergh, right and looking at coffee table books and you're looking through all this stuff and trying to get inspired and look at how they built this massive body of work. And most photographers that I talk to these days have a certain style, but I don't see them creating large scale bodies of work over a period of time. Yeah. They've got clients, they might do one or two creative shoots a year, something to that effect. Um, but they're not incessantly shooting for the love of shooting yep. for creation's sake. And I see you doing that a lot. Uh, I know it's kind of mixed between the jobs, but how important is building that body of work over time, not for accolades or judgment, but just for your own creative journey? How important is that for you to just keep building it and keep building it? I, I, I think it's essential. Yeah. I think that that creative play is so essential and the obsession um, that I think contextualizes it. 
you know, people ask me a lot, like, especially when I first started out, I went from, as we all do, unknown to relatively known fairly quickly. At least that's what it looked like from the outside. And people are like, well, how did you get from point A to point B? We'll call them that so rapidly. And I was like, fucking obsession. Yeah. Like when you were sleeping, I was shooting. When you were awake, I was shooting. When I wasn't working and making money other ways, I was shooting. Literally, I put in more time in one year than most photographers will put in in a decade. And that's how I advanced. There was no secret sauce. It's not because I'm talented or genetically gifted. Or I've said that many a time. Yeah. yeah. Said it, that a lot. It, was, it was literally the time I invested over. That, that I think that, that what you just said is really key too. This idea that someone has clients, they have a business, it's going well, and they create once or twice a year. Once or twice a year. Think about that. Like one or two shoots for yourself. How are you going to grow? And nine times out of 10 for those, those people, which I think are the vast majority of people in those one or two shoots, they're still not creating for themselves. They're going, well, this is going to be perfect for my next marketing campaign. This will appeal for 40 over 40. This is going to do this. This is going to do that. So it still has an endpoint. So it's not art for art's sake or creation for creation's sake, or they're in there trying to nail down a specific technique. And so there's an expectation that then precludes them from exploring. And so there's no evolution because there's no failure. And especially in Western society, I think we have such a negative connotation of this idea of failure. You say failure in a room full of any artist, but obviously I know photographers better than any others, and everyone cringes. You go failure and they turtle up. They go into their shells and they start shaking. They're calling their therapists. And it, it's ultimate. Like, I got a great idea. We're going to do this. We're going to put the model in this. And we're going to put them in front of this backdrop. And we're going to put this fucking light on it. And then I come out and I shoot 20 frames and I shoot 20 more. I'm like, that's a terrible fucking idea. This road. <laughs> I bombed. I bombed it. I couldn't make this light. I couldn't bring the vision to light. Or my vision didn't manifest as I expected it to. Right. And I scrap it. I move on to the next thing. But that, 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 you can call that failure or experimentation, however you want to phrase that. That's how I get to the next place where I find what I love, Good. where I find what resonates, and where I find something that feels there's an intangible feel and i think we've lost sight of that too human connection you know we're so focused on lighting we're so focused on tonal cohesion on textural cohesion on set design that we forget about connecting with the person in front of us and i think even with me a lot of people come and they're like well i just love your work and i'm like why well you have really nice lighting i'm like a lot of people have really nice lighting a lot of people have really nice set design but I think what I infuse into my work is a genuine love and adoration and respect for whomever is in front of my lens. And that's an intangible thing where I don't think you coming to me, you don't necessarily want to know my lighting. You want to know what the mat, what, what that fourth dimension, what's that intangible element. And I can't teach you how to love a person. I can't teach you how to connect with them. I can't teach you to be genuinely interested with the person in front of you. And that's a skill that you can develop. But that goes back to sort of the soft skills and how everything that's taught is a hard skill because it's tangible. And ultimately what we do as portrait photographers or fashion photographers or editorial photographers is, is humanists. And so as soon as we lose sight of the humanity in our work, our work becomes hollow. And so we can look at it and I could say, well, technically that's perfect Rembrandt lighting. And wow, your positioning is wonderful. And you have three triangles that are present in there. And look, the tip of their nose is just pressing past the cheek. And relative to the grid, their head is in the upper rule of third. And I look at it and I'm like, the, the fucking photo makes me feel awful. <laughs> it is a technically masterful, altogether devoid of emotion photo. And it is not art. It is a photo. Yeah. If you're operating that way, you're a technician. And so I think it, it's beholden to us to create that body of work and fixate on it and obsess with it. Because that's how we transcend from regurgitation and staying something of some substance of value. Well, that was the thing that I saw in that um the Lindbergh book that I was talking about with the uh, shadow and light. Mm -hmm. Is that the one? Shadow and light. Yeah. 
and uh something about it. it's all black and white of the uh like helen mirren and penelope cruz completely devoid of makeup yep. sitting in an empty loft room natural light maybe one light somewhere but it was the connection it's not always in focus it's not always the composition that you would think but i can't imagine anyone these days saying eh kind of fucked up that shoot right because the the stories that are being told by eyes by this clear connection between the subject make it so much more powerful than perfect execution every single time right so as I, you know, as I look for inspiration in all these books and, you know, connection being my thing that I, tr I strive for anyway, I keep coming back to, again, why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I getting closer to my own vision, which I never thought of at the beginning of my photography career? I don't, I don't think you can. I don't, I don't think you, you can even, it's like trying to conceptualize infinity. We're like, we're in a vast infinite universe that's ever expanding. We can say this. But to actually like, oh, we, we cannot comprehend that. And so at the beginning of your journey, I don't think that we have the ability to even consider that in a, in a genuine way. That only comes later on as we begin to step into our own, whatever that own might be. I think that's, that's a really important point because a lot of folks that, that do get started and because, like I was saying earlier, the barriers to enter are so low that you can jump into the game, make a bunch of money and produce quality work in a really short period of time there are people that do that and are going to laugh all the way to the back yep. um there's a ton of people in the middle that also care about the art and the business and they're just a mess <laughs> um and then there's the people that are just pure artists they'll care about the business yep. and you know they just create for the act of creation because it's the obsession that they have to do yeah i think it's okay to not know what you want. It's okay to not have visual literacy. You've got to start somewhere. Absolutely. But I think as responsible citizens in the photography community, there needs to be more of that messaging. Very much so. More thought into the why rather than the how. And I think normalizing that is a big thing and making that uh, sort of essential part of these conversations is a big thing. And speaking to struggle, speaking to self-doubt, Speaking to self-loathing, I think one of the, the craziest things that happens for me at some of these workshops, especially when I first started, I didn't know what to expect. Um, and I went into it with my heart in the right place and my head in the right place, but, but no experience to judge anything on. Um, and one of my favorite things was when people started coming up and they're like, holy shit, like hearing you talk about self-doubt, watching you like fuck up during a shoot, saying you leave a lens cap on or take a photo that was under overexposed or literally throw a fucking tantrum. And so we avoid these things because people want to put out this polish and panache as if they walk into a room and the lights assemble like a fucking transformer and they get this masterpiece of an image and it is such a disservice to people who are at the earlier stages of their journey because it's that's an expectation that cannot possibly be met. And so in this process where I guess um, tendency toward perfection we alienate people and we create a false sense of what it means to be successful yeah one of my biggest things was getting into the room with people like you getting into the room with people like critique and and felix and all of these other artists that i admired and even deified at points and hearing them talk and would go all oh, my work sucks 
And I was like, oh, shit, like this isn't, like, I'm not broken. I'm broken. <laughs> well, the reason I'm feeling this way isn't because I'm broken. It's omnipresent. And it was a weird thing because it was liberating, but it was horrifying. Sure. Because in my mind, I'm like, well, when I'm at their level, I'm going to feel like I'm a god and nothing can touch me and hurt me. And so it was reassuring to know that they felt that way. But I was also like, oh, fuck, this isn't going to go away. Right. And as I sort of moved on, I realized it doesn't go away. Change how we relate to it. We change how we channel it. Now, when I start getting that self-doubt, I'm like, hey, self-doubt, go fuck yourself. I'm about to go prove you wrong. And then I create something masterful. Whereas before I would have been like, hello, bourbon, hello, ice cream, hello, bathtub and toaster. Let's see where this night goes. <laughs> and so it's been reformulated a bit, which I'm very grateful for. Right. Um, but but we just, there, there's not enough transparency. There's not enough honesty and openness about these things. And actually for mental health and well-being to feel at the beginning of your stage like you're not moving forward and you're having this self-doubt and you don't know what you're doing and you're a loser because you don't know what you're fucking doing like that's awful versus going like oh wait i don't know what i'm doing because how could i expecting myself to know when i don't know is silly and other people are struggling and everyone's trying to figure this shit out and like the whole kind of doesn't make sense we're all doing our best and we're like oh well this is actually a good thing like this self-doubt that I'm feeling means that I'm trying and I'm working toward a thing. And so rather than being an impediment, it's actually sort of a guidepost saying like, hey, keep going because you're headed in the right direction. This is a, a, not even an evil, but a necessary element of getting to where you want to be and just the process and being an artist. It's funny, everything you were, you were saying, I was like, stop attacking me. <laughs> stop attacking me. Yeah, we're all there at the beginning, right? We all have, have all the self-doubt. I know that when I started photography, I didn't know what I was doing. I was going to the gun range with my camera and taking photos of me and my friends that grew into commercial business and campaigns with large companies. I never set out to do it. So I was blissfully ignorant about everything. Yep. Not only the business white balance, yeah. what's white balance. I don't know. I'm got this thing on auto and I'm just shooting and yeah. people like the pictures. So I didn't know what I didn't know. And that was freeing because I loved the work that I was creating. Yeah. When I got into portraits and I started circulating in, in different groups and starting to find what I resonated with, and I saw the level of talent out there, it went from this blissful ignorance to, oh, I'm just ignorant. <laughs> and now I feel bad about myself. Yeah. And everything for the first few years of me shooting was trying to prove to other photographers that I was a good photographer yeah. rather than caring about the craft, yep. caring about the why, yep. caring about how my art made me feel here. I was worried about what other people who don't give a shit about me yeah. were thinking about the work that I was putting on social media that they weren't seeing. Yep. So I was creating all these worlds in my mind about what a terrible photographer I was when every day that I was shooting, I was getting a little bit better. Yeah. So there does come that moment where you realize, oh my gods, my idols have all the same, if not worse, self-confidence than me. Oh, yeah. So if they have it, well, then that makes them human. I'm human. We all go through this. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and hopefully produce what I love. It took a lot of pressure off. Once I started to 
remove people from idolatry and just place humanity and vulnerability on them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So no matter what level you get to, there is part of that that still nags at you. Well, I, I think there's that element and, and all of us can relate. You know, when you begin to stop seeing a parent as a parent and seeing them as a human being. Yeah. And suddenly it's like you no longer hold the expectations about mom being a mom. You're like, oh, this is a woman who has her own struggles and her own processes and in many ways is just doing her best. And that changes the dynamic instantaneously. And so I think it, it's a coming of age, really. Like we're coming of age as artists and we begin to see things not as we imagine them or envision them or project onto them, but as they actually are. And that that's a big stepping stone forward. But just to circle back to that, that that state of ignorant ignorance and bliss is when those two things are combined, it's wonderful. Because we don't know it's wrong until we're told it's wrong. And it's 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 amazing. You know, it's children, it's children in preschool and they're drawing and they're drawing fucking crabs with bare arms. Right. And it's swiping at the sun and it's this amazing thing of of expression and it's their offer the world and you have this little bit of a child who's going to be the next Picasso and you're like the sun's not green and the kid's like oh oh I can only paint the sun yellow and I don't paint outside the lines and no crabs don't have bare arms and all of a sudden the, this child starts being critical of what it is they're creating and as they're creating they start to think about it it's no longer a flow state yep. they're no longer present in the moment they're beginning to critically evaluate relative to external opinion what it is they are doing. you're not creating anymore you're manufacturing right exactly so you, you are creating to spec. Right. You now have a spec sheet, so you're a technician. You're not an artist or a creator anymore. There's nothing wrong with technicians. We need them. The world runs on technicians. But we have moved out of the creative realm into something that is blueprints. And we have to break out of that blueprint status. Now, don't get me wrong. Going back to business, if you have a headshot business and you use Peter Hurley's methods and everyone's squinting and looking into 17 lights that are blasting light onto their face, to make them look, you know, 20 years younger and plastic. That's cool. I love you, Peter, but God, then that's cool. That's your formula. That's your formula for business. But like, you still need to feed your artistic side. And so we have to make these artistic dates with ourselves. Like I will go in if I find myself in a rut and I will challenge myself to do something that I will. We just had this conversation earlier when we were out eating about like, uh, focal length. And I'm the same way. I shoot with 35. I love fucking 35, 52. I'll do wider. I just shot a, a music video and then a campaign for a big lighting company on a 14 to 24. And it's all fucking distorted and weird. And I love it. Yeah. And I challenged myself very much like you did to shoot the 85 in one place. And I was like, oh, fuck, I love this in the right environment. But if I've been shooting with my 35, I'll go into a set, especially if it's my personal work. And I'm like, I'm only going to use my 85. Yeah. And that's my challenge. And even if I hate all the images, it gets me out of my rut. And it gets me thinking differently and it gets me responding differently. It is so easy to fall into a space of apathy and indifference. And when we're apathetic and we're going through the motions, we are no longer present. If we're not present, we're not imbuing what we're creating with the potential power that we could be. And that's unfortunate for us. It's unfortunate for our clients and it's unfortunate for the world because we as artists are in a really curious and pivotal position to be able to positively impact the world and those we encounter. But in order to do that at full mass, we have to be at our best. And to be at our best, we have to be serving ourselves first and foremost. And that's not selfish. If we want to be selfless, we have to start there. Um, and it's cliche, but it's so true. It's not. We had this conversation, God, a long time ago. Probably several times. Probably several times. About having to take care of yourself first, yep. right? And so I had a buddy of mine um, I worked with for years. Uh, his name's Kerry Davis. He owns Dark Angel Medical. Um, he was a para jumper. Um, he 
teaches people combat casualty care medicine now. So he's a trauma nurse. Yeah. So um, his big thing, especially when he was triaging in critical events, it was you've got to be in good physical shape, good mental shape, hydrated. You've got to be able to take care of yourself first so that you can take care of others. Because if you deplete all of that constantly, then you're not going to be making the decisions that you need to make in a critical situation. Yeah. And removing, like, pressing a button on a camera is not trauma care. I understand that, and I'm not equating the two. No, I, I get but all I'm saying is we put so much time and energy into others, yeah. into our businesses, into um, making sure that we're seen, yet to take care of ourselves, create for the act of creation, be that little kid again, have a little bit of ignorance and just wonder and curiosity. And we don't do that. And that is a form of self-care. Yeah. I know that I neglect it constantly. I'm constantly neglecting my own creativity and my um, desire to make new things because, oh, well, I got to send these emails. I got to talk to these clients. I've got to go to the studio and prep for my shoot tomorrow, or I've got to get these real estate photos done. Whatever it is, there's always something to take me away from carving out time for myself whether that's meditation, whether that's going to the gym, whether that's just having a glass of water instead of another bottle of bourbon. Yeah. Like whatever it is, I often sacrifice my own health because I'm telling myself the story that I'm helping others. And I was just going to bring that up. Like you get the nail on the head with that. So to sort of piggyback on it, I think most people, photography is, is curious and that obviously we work directly with people, portrait photographers. You know, you have a painter, they may paint someone, but there's a lot of isolation. And so I think a lot of photographers who work with people, especially portrait photographers, we have caretaker archetypes. And what that means is that we prioritize others over ourselves. And a lot of that stems from childhood things. And this is not going to be a long enough episode. <laughs> that that could be another time. We can all cry together and mourn. No Molly daddy. <laughs> for you. Grandpa, whatever it is. Um, but we take care of ourselves. And so there's a certain fulfillment in that. And so we wire our brains in a way where being a martyr equates with being a positive influence, right. equates with our value. The more I sacrifice of myself, the more valuable I am. If I wear myself down to skin and bone on your behalf, I'm doing something significant in the world. If I bypass you because I need that love, I'm being selfish and it, it, it results in all of these negative things and connotations. So... Yeah, I mean, it's so, so vitally important. We can't, we can't, going back to it, even pragmatically, if any of you out there have not done personal work in a while, or, you know, Matt, you haven't done personal work in a while, if you do that, no, I don't think that light painting with the flashlight is going to equate necessarily in more money for you. Right. You know, I don't think the law firm in your part of the United States is going to come to you and say, hey, you want some reverse-esque blurry light painting photos to show that we work in patent law, but we're different. I don't think that's going to happen. But what I do know will happen is when you go to take those traditional headshots, you're going to walk into that office with more pep in your step. You're going to have more energy. You're going to have more passion. You're going to have more enthusiasm. You're going to be more present. You're going to deliver a better service and product to them. And they're going to love you that much more for it. If you're just going through the motions, you step in. And I thought about that. I got to a place in my work where I loathe picking up my camera and I went, fuck, there are better ways to make money than this. 
there are easier ways to make money in this. I do not want to be an artist who loathes creating art. That's such a terrible place to be in. And it's so hollowing and so diminishing. And you get to a place where you can feel so hopeless and helpless in that. So it's not optional. Creating work for ourselves is not optional. It's a must. Taking care of ourselves is a must. And even at these workshops, going back to it, I'm used to working in the fashion and editorial world. So for me, 16-hour days are nothing. Right. You know, I'm fueled on coffee and cigarettes and whatever else. <laughs> like it's the late 70s, early 80s. And I'm just going. I'm wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. And halfway <laughs> into the day, people are like, aren't you tired? I'm like, fuck no. This is what I do. But just that, like eight-hour days can take a lot. So you do have to be physically sound. You do have to be mentally sound. Um, you have to tend to yourself first. And this stuff is just applied art to everything in life. You know, the, there's so many of these adages that, that come across as so cliche and trite that they're said over and over for a reason. And literally, an empty cup cannot fill another. This isn't metaphysical. This is physics. If you have nothing to give, you can't give anything. Um, and, and we just, it's so easy to lose sight. It's so easy for me to take care of you. It's so hard for me to take care of Nick. So how do you do it? I, I journal, I get out into nature, I work out, I eat well, I cook for myself, I create my own art, I, I spend time with myself, um, and it changes day to day. And I go through seasons with that. And I think that's the thing, too. We're talking about how like formulaic lighting is sort of rubbish and that you have to be able to see light shadow. The same thing goes for self-help. Sure. And that phrase is just fucked as well. But it's like, well, in order to be a healthy, well-adjusted individual, you have to meditate for 20 minutes every morning. If I meditated for 20 minutes every morning, I would cut off both of my feet and throw them out the fucking window. That is not for me. I love active meditation. If I go full think that's active meditation. If I'm now good editing, that could be active meditation. Working out for me, doing yoga or Pilates is active meditation. Like There is no one right approach for any individual, and there is no approach that's everlasting. So what serves you today may not serve you tomorrow. And going back to evolving as an artist, I think that's an important thing to remember. Sometimes we feel very driven by a thing. Let's say it's blur. We go through the season of blur. And you're blurring up. <laughs> They're shuttered around. And everything's not one second or one fifth of a second. It, you're talking about how light blurs by and the impermanence of things and everything ephemeral. And we're all just shadows and bots temporarily manifest in flesh and bone and you're fucking leaning into it and you're reading poetry from the 16th century and you're drinking pork wine and you're just fucking there and then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like where's bullshit i hate it that's okay that's good suddenly you're like i got a macro lens i have set it flat <laughs> i can see every single floor and this person fucking chase i can see their soul and i'm here for the deep i'm in a pixel peep and that's my new thing and that lasts for a week or a month or a year but we get so caught into this idea that we have to maintain, that we have to stay in the same lane. And especially if you jumped into this without being passionate, if it was a career change or if you got into portraiture right away and someone's like, well, this is how you do it. And this is how you do it right. And then you're like, well, this isn't good for me anymore, but you can't let go because it's part of your identity, your success, who you're known as, how you're known as. And we have to be able to bolt to move into the next level, the next phase of who we are and where we want to be. And letting go is hard, but we have to let go to make space for the things that we want to be and become and achieve and accrue. And without that space, nothing can grow. Mm. Nothing can happen. Do you feel like there's too much pressure to be a certain type or a certain look of creative, have them certain amount of followers or oh, street cred? Absolutely. And 
if the world were devoid of that, you think there will be as many creatives in? Absolutely not. No, I think I think people put too much pressure on it. You know, one thing that I've talked about for a while now, doing things like this, is that I don't refer to myself as a photographer. I consider myself an artist. Yeah, you always say that. Yeah, yeah. I, I I refer to myself as an artist, and my primary medium is photography. But no, I think that we have a tendency in this society and a, and a pressure, an imperative almost to define ourselves. This is who I am. I'm a Libra with the rising sun. I'm a photographer who specializes in editorial portraiture with an airy feel. Well, we're niching, right? Yeah. You're going to market it. I'm a fashionista right? who likes blue right now. I'm all of these things. And so we, we turn ourselves into these arbitrary elements and then... That allows people to decide. I'm like, oh, wait, you're a denim guy? Oh, well, I'm a Chino guy. We can't be friends. And so it allows us to decide quickly and erroneously if we're going to associate or not. But that pressure is on us always, and especially while always being seen. You know, you look at someone else, well, it's successful. And I shot for the cover of Vogue, but I only have 5,000 followers, so I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's such a weird version of the primal caveman side of us just wanting to belong to the tribe absolutely just not wanting to get kicked out absolutely. Right? like i said earlier like that's why i was trying to make my way in the in the photography world by impressing other photographers yeah and it went nowhere and it wasn't until i just said well this is totally the wrong approach like i don't need to do that that i actually started to feel really good about photography yeah but at the same time that comes with an acceptance of a certain level of isolation absolutely right and in that it took me a, a long time to find the strength to feel okay with that that you know the the starving lonely artist right is an archetype for a reason um but i think the lonely artist is less about how many people are in your social circle it's how you feel disconnected from the rest of the tribe yeah right by being out here doing something bold doing your own thing and i use bold bold for the individual yeah. right and so i think there's always this part of us that wants so badly to be accepted and be proven viable and worthy but at the same time that feels false because what we really want to do is over here yeah. But if we do that, we'll be alone. And if we're alone, that's the scary dark place. And it's just lighter and more comfy over here. Well, I think I think that is a potential dark side of photographic communities. You get into something and there are certain parameters in order to be involved. It's it's a group, it's a clique. You know, like you're not gonna be in a yacht club without a yacht. And when you don't have a yacht anymore, guess what? You're no longer welcome in the yacht club. I don't know if that's true. I've never had a yacht or been in a yacht club, but I, I'm out there on my fucking Rubber canoes, you're inflatable, breaking shit. <laughs> but I think that's one of the things is we get into it and then we do feel that warm embrace, right? Like I'm creating this type of work and people are saying they love it and they're being helpful and they accept me. And let's say it's a community that values thought, ethereal light, right? Thought wrapping light. Oh, it's so soft, so ethereal, it's so angelic. And all of a sudden you pop in and you're like, fucking high noon sun. You're like, look at the cheekbones on my subject. They're structured. They're fucking dimension. This shit is dope. And people are like, oh, oh, you're one of those now. You're a hard life person. Where's the white vignette? Yeah. Wow. 
oh, that's not soft at all. Those transitions aren't buttery. I'm uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so in some cases, you will wind up finding yourself exiled from the community because you no longer fit into those parameters. And that... It's down to you whether you feel good or bad about that. Exactly. Yeah. And if, if you got into something and it was predicated on feeling accepted and that has fulfilled a, a void or a pain in you that's probably existed since childhood right. or adolescence, the steps away from that, you're not just stepping away from that. You're stepping away from home. You're stepping away from love. And that can be a very hard thing to do. So it's so easy for us to become trapped and entrenched in these communities. And I'm not saying the communities are what the best bill that I'm, I'm typecasting them, but they are in terms of creativity. These communities tend to do one thing and they do it really well, but anything beyond that is out of their purview and it's in their periphery. And as you start to step into that, you have to step away from them necessarily to continue down that path. And so that goes back to molting, that goes back to letting go, that goes back to shedding and the struggle of what it means to come into your own as an artist. And the struggle is fucking real. And on, I, I have talks with mentees and just random people who come up to me on the street. Oh, you're fucking Johnny Creative. I got a question for you. I'm like, oh, yay. And I just wanted to go grocery shop. I'll be surprised some unsolicited life advice. They're like, how do I get to where I want to be? I'm like, it depends on how much you're willing to struggle. How much are you willing to struggle for your dream? And if you're willing to give and do anything, you'll get there. And if you're not, that's okay too. But you need to be honest with yourself about that. And that, that's a conversation that I don't think we have. It's okay to be a hobbyist. It's okay to do this part-time. It's okay to only pick up your camera once a month. But if you say arbitrarily, I want to be on the cover of Vogue Italia and you're willing to do whatever it takes to get there, you will fucking get there. But you're going to have to sacrifice a lot. You're going to have to give up a lot. You're going to have to do a lot. There's sleepless nights and fucked up relationships and isolation from friends and who God knows what else. Not a whole lot of money in it. Yeah, not a small <laughs> Especially not now. There's no money in it anymore going down that road but if that is your aspiration if that's your life goal your dream then fucking get you give yourself to it you know it's, it's the bukowski quote and i'll butcher it but like you know find what you love and let it consume you and so i think that i have that very i, I try and have that open conversation with people to say how important is this to you honestly mm -hmm. and people always I, there's this tendency we have to say it's like this is the most fucking important thing ever everything's the most important thing ever I, I, I would give anything for photography. We say it because we feel that's what we should say, but it doesn't speak to the actuality or our genuine intention. And that's a big thing. Like you had mentioned earlier, it's circling back that intentionality. Where do I really want to be? What do I want to say? What do I want to create? And it ties into self-value, so forth. What is it? What is it that I want? Yeah. Right. What is it that I want in life? Well, that's a big fucking question. Yeah. And not ready for that. What do I want out of my photography? Let's yeah. pitch it down. Yeah. But I think, you know, as people start to play with that question, just opening up that river of curiosity gets you thinking in a way that is nothing but productive. Great. Right. And in figuring out, well, I absolutely, I said from the beginning, no weddings, no kids, no babies, no families. Because I talked to all my other photographer friends, I was doing photojournalism and I realized like all my other photography friends were, were making bank yeah. you know, weddings yeah. and all this stuff. And then you talk to them and I'm like, you're 29 years old with a bad back, no knees, and you just meet the world. Just read Sylvia Plath <laughs> in your free time. And, and yeah, and I was like, I absolutely don't want to do yeah. any of that. Yeah. 
Um, so I don't think people take the time to just be curious about what they want and what they don't want. Yep. And a lot of times, you know, um, and Sue Bryce has said this uh, several times, it's easier to start with what you don't want. I don't want to do family, yeah. babies, kids, weddings. Like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So what does that leave me with? Yeah. Well, any type of art that I want to create, yeah. any type of photo that I want to create that makes me feel good. Yeah. I just know that those specific genres are never going to make me feel good. Yeah. Why, why invest time or effort into those things that have no reform? Yeah. Right? Will I shoot someone's family? That sounded really weird. <laughs> Will I? <laughs> it depends on the day. You know, if someone asked me to photograph their family, I'd probably do it yeah. knowing that I could get a well-exposed, well-composed photo, but I have no desire to get into that. Yeah. And I know that intrinsically, I don't know. And this isn't saying like, I've got all the answers, but I just don't think people are asking themselves that question enough up front. No. Am I a hobbyist or do I want to go pro? Do I want to do fashion or do I want to do abstract? Yeah. Well, whatever question you ask yourself, you'll get an answer to. Yep. So just start asking yourself questions. Yep. And I don't think that's being taught enough. Right. You know, when I was at WPPI last year, sat through a lot of the lectures and walked around quite a bit. I was trying to get a feel for as many different presentations as I could get. And there weren't as many folks talking about the softer skills, yeah. the why, the intentionality of things, as much as I would have liked to have seen. Now, Granted, I didn't see every presentation, so I probably could have missed 90% of them. I have no idea. But the the point being, I think it's an important conversation to keep coming back to. Yeah. And I, I was gonna because say. it can change. Like you said, it can change. I go from blur to light and airy to harsh shadows. Like, that's the great part of it. Yeah. Because instead of saying, well, fuck blur, you're saying, I know how to do blur. Well, and start to build your own thing with your own experiences. Oh, I love it. Right? And I, I think that for me, at least, and I, I believe that it holds true for a lot of creative, a lot of photographers, that my artistic journey, my photographic journey has paralleled my personal journey. And so hopefully sure. we evolve. I had a very challenging relationship with my mom. Sure. And so at first, it was interesting when I first started doing, like getting into portraits and things like that, for whatever reason, people are very comfortable around me. I think if I have a superpower, it's putting people at ease. It's making people feel seen and heard. They feel they, they feel like they can be whoever they are in that moment. And I love that. I adore that. Like I all the trauma that I have, that gives context to it. And I fucking love that. But I had a lot of women who would come to me and they're like, Will you photograph me with my baby? Will you this was my child? But fuck no. I'm not in a million years. And because I don't want I didn't want to have to address things with my own mom. But now I found I've actually been reaching out to people that I know have children and saying, can I photograph you together? Right. Because I've gone through a massive healing journey with that. And photographing women, especially with younger children, has been very therapeutic for me. Yeah. I get to give them this, this beautiful moment. And in the process, I get to see that bond. And even though it's something I know that I will never have directly, it still is healing and uplifting to me. Yeah. And so if you would have asked me two years ago if I would do it, I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. And here I am. And that that's a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing to say, this no longer appeals to me or this now appeals to me. Sure. And to move in that direction confidently. And to know that all things end. Relationships end. All of this ends. We are impermanent. And that's a big reminder too. And I don't want to be macabre at all, but it's the memento mori aspect of it. Sure. Absolutely. Friends and even people who are listening I don't like. I want you to know this too. Like, we are going to die. 
we we are not long for this world and we do not have know how much time we're going to have to like how we want to spend these fleeting finite moments do you want to be fitting into a bubble so that you know whatever belinda thinks that you're great on social media or so that for, for these petty validations and i'm not saying there's anything wrong i like being validated my ego loves being validated loves it but literally i i asked myself that when i start getting into ruts i'm like all right I'm going to be a thumbtub and say on January 1st, I'm going to die. I don't know how, but I'm going to die. How do I want to spend these next months with my art? What do I want to do? What do I want to say? And it's, 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 it's powerful. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously it's not for everyone. You know, some people get into that spiral and they don't get out. Sure. Um, but I think it's really important to realize like we, we are, we are finite and that things like legacy. Ultimately, I know I'm probably going to get some hate mail for this, but leg legacy is illusory too. It's a way that we try and cope with mortality because it's another thing that we can't understand or comprehend. But two or three generations from now, even if you and I create the most impactful work of, of this generation, no one's going to know our name or know that work. And so we have to create for ourselves now what's going to serve us now, mm -hmm. what's going to bring us joy and peace now, what are we going to love now, what's going to make us fucking energized and excited and radiant in the here and now. And that doesn't have to be the same tomorrow or the next day or even in the next hour, but we meet ourselves where we're at. And if we can honor that, it is so wonderful and liberating. I agree with you a hundred percent. For me, it's less about the final product of what I produce. Yeah. It's the feeling that I get, it's the vibe that I get, the emotional state that it puts me in yeah. that I can then just connect with other people. They're around my positive energy. Yep. So when I'm creating and it looks like dog shit, there's going to be one in there that is great. Yep. And whether it's self-portrait, whether it's a sunset, doesn't matter. Like there's going to be something in there that you can look at and be like, that's great. And draw some inspiration from, draw some self-love from. That impacts everyone around you. But if you're constantly in the state of hating your work or in a place where you don't know what you want to say, it's frustrating and it's, it's disempowering yep. and that just kind of makes you a big downer, right? Sure. So thinking about longevity, thinking about mortality does give you a different perspective on what's valuable, yep. what's important in your life. And it could be well, if I only have to January, I got to make a million dollars. Okay. Well, if finances is your thing, go forth and conquer. If it's love, if it's eat all the French fries in the world, I don't know, like whatever it is that floats your boat, do it with a passion and energy of a thousand suns, yeah, right? Because if you don't do that, then you're just in this sullen state of existence. Yeah. And you're not able to bring what is uniquely you to other people. They don't have to like your art. No. But the emotional state that you're going to be in creating what you love and feeling good about it is going to translate to other people. And I think that is oftentimes what separates some of the greater artists from people that were probably technically better, but just didn't affect the people around them oh very, or very good people very much so one of my one of my favorite quotes and i just butcher quotes i love quotes and i never get them right and the paradox but it, it's richard avalon if we also i controversial figure 
but he has this quote and it's basically he said and i'm paraphrasing here i i hate the camera it gets in the way of what i do and i love that yeah and i love that and like if, if anyone has ever seen me work and i have someone in front of my lens i spend so much more time talking i'm talking i'm laughing i'm talking shit i'm telling stories i'm poking fun and then I'll pick up my camera for 20 frames and boom, boom, boom. And then I put it back down because my real passion is the person in front of me. And that actually circles back to the monetary aspect of things. Because one thing that I hear a lot, I'm, I'm sorry, photographers, but we are a whiny bunch. We love to whine. And I'm guilty of this as well. I'll drink to that. We love to whine. Well, Joe Headshot Studio down the road is charging $100 less and they're booked out. Why is this? And why is that? Why is this? Well, I get it. It sucks sometimes. You're putting your heart and soul into everything and you're spinning your wheels and you see someone else. You don't see them. You see your perception of them, right. but you perceive someone else in a way where you're like, well, they're not doing anything and they're getting all of this success. Going back to the experiential thing, some people are fucking amazing with people, but shitty photographers and they're going to be really successful because people feel great around them yeah. and there is inherently bias when we view images if if matt you photograph me tomorrow we have a great experience and you caught me where i have a triple chin because i'm back looking like job of the hut and it's my crack and i'm pirate eyed because i drank too much bourbon before the session but we laughed the whole time and it was this beautiful expression of love and brotherhood i'm gonna look at those and go fuck man like let me let me give you some money for this right. let, what can i do for you for these if you get beautiful statuesque photos of me but the entire time you're telling me i'm a piece of shit and making me uncomfortable and that's how we get there i'm going to look at those photos the, even though externally people would say they're wonderful i'm going to go those are shit sure so someone's experience dictates how they perceive the images and we lose sight of that too because it's like well i have great lighting why am i not getting work and it's because you don't talk to your clients they come in and, and going back to portrait masters or conferences so often what happens is someone gets in front of a model and they presume that the model loves themselves and the model doesn't need validation and that they don't have to communicate. They shouldn't introduce themselves and they just start clicking. And then the model's like, well, what do you like? And that's it. And there's no interaction. There's no recognition. The second workshop that I did, I had a gentleman in here who is a, a beautiful man, beautiful, categorically, like really, really stunning man, really uniquely stunning. Um, and model or style. Okay. Um, and I walked out of the room, I was going to get water, self-care, because I was dehydrated and I was starting to look like a California raisin. And I was getting that white stuff in the corner to my dial. <laughs> so I realized, I was like, oh, I'm like photosynthesizing, like I need to, my body's trying to produce without. So I go in, I, I, I'm chugging water, I chug like 32 ounces of water, you know, airing on like hyponatremia and all this, my electrolytes are fucked up. And I come back out and there's the, the paparazzi. They're literally in this part of the studio over here. And I mean, for those of you who are listening, I'm pointing to the left. But uh, they're in the part of the studio and everyone's photographing this gent and no one's saying anything to him. And it was so fucking awkward. It's just shutters. Yeah, shutters fucking clicking. And I, I know him. Right. I could tell he's uncomfortable and no one knew this, but he had just gotten out of a relationship. He was cheated on. It was, it was a bad situation. He almost didn't come. And I'm like, come if you want. Don't come. Like, what? that's on you. And he showed up. And I walked over and I literally stood in front of everyone. And I go, what the fuck are you doing? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, why are none of you talking to this man? Why are none of you telling him he's beautiful and he's wonderful? Why am I not hearing? Yes. The fucking get it. You're stunning. 
And literally someone spoke up and I'm happy that they did. I really appreciate their their courage in that moment because it's hard to speak up in a group situation. We're all like kids who get right. called on to read in class. But they're like, well, look, he's beautiful and he's amazing. Like, why would I need to say anything? I'm like, you don't fucking know that he knows right. that. You don't know anything that's going on in this human being's mind right now. You don't know where they're at. You don't know how, how they feel. You're being so presumptive and disrespectful to this person. This is not why we are fucking here. And there was a big pause. I bet. And I was like, oh, there's going to be a lot of people asking for refunds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All of a sudden, it changes. The behavior changes in the first person, and I'm not going to name her by name, but she's a dear friend of mine. She's like, oh, my God, you're so gorgeous, baby. Yes. And all of a sudden, I, you could feel it. Like, I'm getting the air standing up on my arms right now. There was an electricity in the air, and his demeanor changed. Sure. He grew six inches in height. He's smiling. He's laughing. And it was this really beautiful thing. And I'm so happy that that happened because that was one of the most profound teaching moments that I've had in these workshops was to say honor and respect and love the person in front of your lens. And as soon as we lose sight of that, we diminish and, and we, we hollow and we just take someone down. And I never, ever want to do that myself. I never want that to happen in the studio. And that is, that is our superpowers. Photographers, we get to, we get to fucking lift people up. Well, I think in that moment, you gave them permission to be excited about what they were doing, to take the chains off and not feel the pressure of getting a perfect picture of a perfect person. Yeah. You gave them the ability to have fun yeah, and just be and yeah. just create. And that energy transfer between them and the model and then back and around it changes everything and it elevates everybody else's creativity, yeah. right? Because now it's less the piranhas, I call them, um, the piranhas coming in and just feeding, 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 and, and then they're getting out. Um, now people are trying to do different things, yeah. supporting each other. Yeah. And it, it creates a better community, you know, within just the six, eight, 10 students that you have. Oh, yeah. I love seeing that dynamic happen. It takes a certain type of educator to move people in that direction. Yeah. It also takes a certain amount of time. And sometimes you, you have that one, you know, that one smoke grenade in every class that is just going to just fuck everything up, no matter everybody else is cool. And then there's, oh, him or her, right? And it can really take the whole vibe out of the class. Yeah. So it takes a certain type of educator to be able to realize all of these dynamics and adjust course accordingly. Um, the workshops that I've held, they generally sell out fairly quickly and I'm super yeah. grateful for that. But I curate these workshops. There are people who sign up for the workshops who I know, I wouldn't make a judgment call, but I know well enough where I won't let them into the workshop. And because I know that it's going to be just that, I know that they're going to come in with a certain energy and attitude, and it's going to take away from everyone's experience. And I value what I provide to the people who are there more than the dollars that could come in from another seat being filled. And I'm not saying this in elitist way. I know that it can come off that way, but like I would rather eat ramen instead of ribeye if it means that I'm going to create an incredible experience for people. And so that's, that's a point of integrity for me to say, like, I am not going to prioritize dollars over people, dollars over experience, dollars over connection. And that, that doesn't apply to everyone. I'm in a fortunate position where I can do that. 
I don't have kids to feed. I don't have any of these types of things. So like if you're out there and you're just take them as they come, that's cool. I get it. We all have different responsibilities and circumstances. But for me, it's a point of pride that I know that like I will turn down jobs with people who I consider ethically abysmal. I will keep people out. And and I, I think that that's another thing that, that we sort of have to do as artists is because it is an expression of self, we have to curate that expression. We have to be sure that what we're saying and what we're doing and who we're working with aligns with our values insofar as we're able, mm-hmm. insofar as we're fortunate or some of you would say privileged enough to do. I think that's a really important thing. Um, and it's how, the, it's how I stay engaged with my art and with my business even during slow times. And if I turn down a job, and a lot of you have heard this, and Sue has talked about this, the power it can is incredible. If I have credit card debt by piling up and I'm looking at interest rates going, oh, I'm fucked. And a job comes to me and there's a lot of fucking zeros behind a number and I say no, even though I know that I'm going to be struggling and, and fucking on the pain train, there is a power in that sure. that is unparalleled. And so that goes back, that's important to me. That's one of the things that's important to me as an artist. That's one of the points of fulfillment for me. That's on my list of foundational elements. And that's, again, why it's important to define these things and to decide what's important to us and, and, and where we want to be and what we want to do and what we want to stay with our work. How have you seen your alchemy workshops evolve over time? And do you feel like, we were talking at the very beginning of this, how much you pack into two days, yeah. right? It's, you said overwhelming is the word you use, which, you know, so suddenly the business guy in me is like, let's break that up into four modules, four different courses, elevate your, so how have you seen it evolve to the point where you're able to give people the proper balance of the mental, the intellectual, the thoughtful approach to what you're doing, and then also the technical and making sure that they're getting you know, getting the entire experience, right? You want to curate a certain experience. So what are, you know, has there been anything that you've dropped? You're like, well, that was a bad idea. Like the first one or two workshops that I ran, there was an asinine number of models that brought it. I think it was like eight the first day and 10 the second. It was like a runway show. And in my mind, I was making up for my lack of confidence. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, if we have 10 people each day and they get to photograph 20 amazing <laughs> Distract them over here. Like, man, <laughs> even if I'm a, a total atrocious piece of shit, they're going to have a great time. So I tried to do too much because it was masking my insecurity, sure. my uncertainty as an educator. And also, it was a counterpoint because I agree, there is probably a way to break this up. But what really gets me in the education sector is your fit, where it's like, come to my workshop. And then it's well, we honor for the love and they have a special technique and they, they dip their toes into it. And they're like, well, to get the full picture, come back to my next one in two months. And you get the bait and switch. Oh, oh, especially as someone who like had gone to workshops when I didn't really have the means to do so and made sacrifices to do it and have people hold things up to the top in withhold. I never wanted to do that. So I even start the workshop by going, I'm, I'm going to reveal everything. More than you want to know. Like this, this is a full monty of of creativity. Like you're gonna learn all the tricks, all the secrets, all the fuck up, all the shortcuts and hacks that I think. That's a big thing. But I think I become much more certain in myself as an educator. So 
I'm much more involved in deconstructing my process. I think at first I was like, oh, here, let me just map you know, my model stand in front of there. Oh, cool. Look at this kind of like moody light. Oh, I took three photos. Who wants to photograph Matt? Or we go, me, 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 me. Because there's a beautiful set and there's a beautiful human and there's beautiful lighting and everyone's fucking trigger happy on their cameras and they want to get into it. Now I'm much more focused on, hey, Matt, like, let's connect. Let's talk a little bit. Well, here, like, I'm setting this light up on Matt. Like, this light looks cool right now, but man, I want you to turn your chin to the right a little. And actually, I'm using my 85 or my 35 on the switch to the 85 because I want something more intimate. And hey, Matt, remember earlier when we were in the back and we were styling you, we talked a little bit about that experience you went through recently. Can we go back into that? Can we just lean into that for a second? And all right, I, I like this frame a lot, but let's take a deep breath in. And actually, like, with what you're wearing, I don't really like this coat behind you. Let's put you on something that has a little bit more contrast. And I lead into my process more because I think I appreciate to a greater degree why people are here. And it's because they want to learn why I do what I do and how I do what I do. And I want to give that to them. So as I become more confident in myself, I become more confident in the fact that people are here for me. They're not here for the 75 backdrops that I have. They're not here for the, I don't even know how many lights, it's gross. There's so many damn lights in this place. They're not here for the lights. They're here because there are things about my work that they admire or that resonate with them, and they want to learn about my process. And so as I found grounding and certainty as an educator, I become more comfortable with leaning into that process and narrating it and deconstructing it and, and, and sharing it. And that's vulnerable. This is my heart. This is my soul. This is my life. People are like, what are you doing with this? What else do you do? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I occasionally... Twice a year, get to hang out with a friend, right? Some bourbon. This is everything. And so, being able to open myself up to that, and I'm so grateful to my students, the students who were there for the first workshop and the second workshop and the third and the fourth. And just as much as I've been part of their journey, they've been part of my own. And I don't think that what I do now is better. I think what I do now is different. Um, and I think it's more authentic. And I think that's really important because I preach authenticity. And so I feel like I have to live authenticity, right? Like there's so much of that in this industry too, where someone's like, well, honor the person in front of your camera and they objectify the people in front of their camera. There's so many people who are like, don't just chase dollars. And all they do is chase dollars. There's so much hypocrisy into facedness. And I do not want to be an agent of that bullshit. Believe me, you know, we could talk for at least through the rest of the Woodford, probably into the bullet um about hypocrisy just in general but i want to come back to something you said um and we'll keep it a bit more positive connection being your thing that's mine as well at least in my type of photography where i am um the culturally people aren't used to being in front of cameras yeah backwoods of maine is not the fashion mecca of the western world right and there are typically times that you get a photographer for a wedding maybe for the birth of a child that's about it yeah. right and hopefully in the subsequent years you come up with something that you can cut your face out and use as your obituary photo right that's where I'm I'm located. So culturally, getting in front of the camera is a very nerve-wracking thing. It's nerve-wracking for anybody, oh, of course. regardless of where you are. But photography and portrait photography, high-end portrait photography, connected photography, authentic, soulful photography, 
is not something that is regular yeah. in that area, right? So trying to bring that in, I focus my entire business on the connection with the client, right? Having hours of conversation with them before I even press the shutter one through consultations, through just conversations on the phone, getting to understand how they work, what their problems are, what their concerns are, what their loves are, what do they get excited about, right? All of those things by being curious. And I think that is the, the nature of true connection is curiosity. I've seen you in the few places that we've gone around here over the, over the time that we've been together. People know you, people dig you. You're not friends with them, but you're familiar with them. You are connected with them in a certain way. Even if it's just kind of like, yeah, I'm here every Thursday night to get wings or, you know, whatever. You're creating a connection with these people. So it is something you do all the time. Absolutely. You're not necessarily unrecognizable, but you also disarm people with sincerity and with your ability to connect with them much different from what they may judge or perceive you to be. How have you been able to teach that connection to others, the importance of that connection to others? Because if it's intrinsic in you, right, you're not really thinking about it. It's just how you deal with humanity, but it's such an important part of your process. How do you teach that? Uh, and, and no, it, it, it's Carol, first and foremost, it's absolutely a challenge. And it's one of those things, like, if you look at my workshop page, there's a bit about communication. Um, but going back to soft skills, it's not something, it's not mathematics. It's not a lighting formula. It's not a meter. Like, how do we get to that? And for me, the biggest thing is disarming this notion of having to come across as being infallible. So I think as a photographer, we take on this, this, overly demonched role of having to be perfect. Right. I have to show up and I'm an authority figure and they have to respect me and I know what I'm doing and they look to me and I'm a trusted person and there's all of this. What's well, the fear of being embarrassed? Exactly. Right? That's what it is. And we all have that. It go, This goes back to childhood as well. You know, you step up to speak in front of class and you say the bleh and then everybody goes <laughs> and then you're talking to your therapist about it and you're like, like that shit. <laughs> so I, I like to play on the idea of our humanness and our humanness is brokenness. It's fucked up in this. It's being embarrassed. It's making fucking mistakes. And so it's a really silly thing that I always talk about. That if I have someone in front of my camera and they're not comfortable, it, it's art. It's scary being in front of the fucking camera. Like, I think that's why it's important for us as photographers to be photographed. Because we realize, holy shit, there was a light on me and someone had a camera on me and they're yeah. me. And I didn't see the photo of myself in half a decade. And what the fuck do I look like? And oh, shit. It's a crazy thing. So, I mean, I like to lean into fuck-ups and making mistakes. And that's what I try and, like, teach or speak to in workshops. Like, if I get someone in who's really uncomfortable, let them tethering into my computer because they're headshot flying. I'll take a couple of photos with my lens cap on purposely. And I'll go, I don't, I don't know what's going on with my camera. I don't know. And they're like, oh, Johnny, Johnny, your lens cap on. I'm like, oh. Shit, are you serious? All right. I'm like, wow, you probably regret paying me money, don't you? I really know what I'm doing. And I laugh at myself. And in that moment, the dynamic changes. 
because there was no longer a hierarchy. I'm not up here looking down at them. We're right here looking at each other because I humanize myself. So as soon as we realize that like what makes us human are the things that we avoid or try and avoid sharing, we become more connected immediately. And it's, I, I literally love to learn about people and that's something you can't teach. And I'm like, if you don't care about people, if you don't want to know someone's story, get the fuck out of portrait photography. Like, sorry, not sorry. You don't belong here. It's not good for the people you photograph. It's not good for the fucking industry. If you don't love people and want to know their stories and want to know what makes them tick and what makes them them and who they are and where they've been and where they want to go, you don't belong here. And I always talk about inclusivity, but in this case, I am going to be exclusionary. This isn't for you. Find something else. Take photos of sunsets. And I think what you said is something interesting. You know, having these head tattoos, and obviously, like, I'm dressed up like this, and I get a certain perception. But if I walk in and I have a Slayer t-shirt on, and I have a giant bull nose ring in, and, you know, like, I just had dental work done, and I'm bleeding out of the corner of my mouth, and someone's like, oh, shit. And then I'm like, oh, by the way, <laughs> would you like to come in and get your yeah. portrait taken? I'm going to create a dress on. You watch this quote. Fraction of that disarms people right. because they they have a presupposition about who I am and what I am. Right. And as soon as that's challenged, it's almost like the fainting goat mentality where they just go, oh, they become receptive. So I think that's a really wonderful thing. And also speaking to style, like you don't have to dress in floral pants and a floral shirt and have you know floral tattoos and a flower in your pocket. Though I do and floral stuff. I almost wore that up. I, I bet you did. You look great, Paul. But I dress up. Like this every day, especially for clients. Mm-hmm. Literally, one of my favorite things. Shows the level of respect. Okay. Yep. Fucking exactly. I walk in and, hey, to those of you who are wearing sweatpants and Crocs out there, if that's your vibe, I'm not going to knock it too much. Right. But when a client comes in and they're like, oh my God, the dress up so nicely, for what? I'm like, for you. Yeah. I appreciate you. I respect you. This is an amazing opportunity. I really. I love the fact that you trust me. I'm going to honor that and I'm going to do my very best for you. And they're like, wow, I'm not here serving them. He's here serving me. And it switches that around. So I lean into that of being respectful, being serious. But Susan Sontag has a quote that's basically like, I I was never afraid to fall in love with the people in front of my camera. Mm. And there's that, that microcosm, whether it's 10 minutes or 30 minutes or four hours, where I literally become infatuated with the person in front of me. And it's not saccharine. It's not artificial. I want to know. I want to walk away after that period of time and have as much information as possible. I want to be able to to call them up a month later and be like, hey, now that you're down in Tampa, St. Pete, how's that treating you? Also, would you please select your fucking images because it's been a month. <laughs> I need to get paid. It's getting insane. No, Jer- uh, Jerry Dionis yeah. was just like, I fall in love with my clients. I just have to fall out of love with them before I go home. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's, it's, it really struck me because that's exactly what happened but you you bring it back to um you were talking about you know dressing up for your clients and you know i know you're not putting on a show for them but it's like showing them the the proper amount of respect you're obviously going to be spending a considerable amount of money with me let me show you the respect of showing up it's something that that honors you as well part of that that's gotten lost over the years is the professionalism part of it yeah and I think, you know, we talked about it really early on in this conversation about the barrier to entry being low and the standards of professionalism have also dropped to yeah, a degree to it, not so much that people aren't producing professional work or they're saying things that are inappropriate. It's just 
a level of formality. People used to dress up to go on planes. I, I was literally just going to bring up travel. Right. So flying out here today and I'm sitting in... Sitting in first class only because there was like no one else on the fucking plane. But I'm sitting there and I'm literally dressed like this. This is the clothes I had on on the plane. And jean jacket, black t-shirt, black pants. And cowboy boots. Not informal, not formal. I'd say of the whatever there were 10 seats in first class, this was the best dress. Yep. And I'm not well dressed. But I like to do that when I travel. Yep. I feel better. I don't want to be in sweats and a tank top and a neck pillow and carrying my security blanket. And like I see a lot of adults doing, it's really kind of weird. In what we do as a profession, that informality has degraded um, what the client expects. Yeah, very much so. And it's very hard when I see online. Now, the product, I'm sure, is beautiful. They could have great connection with their clients. But when I see a behind-the-scenes video of someone that is dressed far too informally, I don't care how good your work is, it says something about how you feel about your clients. Yeah. Now that's going to get me, that's going to get me the hate mail. Oh yeah. Now we're, we're both going to get some shit on this. But I think there is a level of respect that you have to have yeah. for whatever industry that you're in, whatever client, if you're in the, if you're in the service industry, if you are providing products and services for people, yeah. there's a standard that I feel needs to be maintained. Great. Absolutely. I don't know where we lost that. Maybe it was COVID and we were all in pajama bottoms, but I was still dressed like this, but I think, you know, we've lost that formality Yeah, and it's not for the better. And I know I sound like the old guy shaking my hand at the clouds, but there's nothing wrong with bringing back that little bit of class, no, I, that little bit of formality. I agree. And going back to like, I do the same thing, having those hours of conversation before you even click the shutter. Like I get to know someone and if I find out that someone loves Yo-Yo Ma, Right. and loves cello music and they're really into the scent of sage guess what i'm going to do before they show up i'm going to make sure yo-yo ma's playing i'm going to sage the studio yep. or bring palo santo in or an yep. analog sense i'm going to do all of those things and they come in and they smell it and what that says i listen to what you have to say you i respect you me. i appreciate you and it's a relationship yeah. right like if, if we if, if you're starting to date i don't even know if dating still exists i but if, gave up on that years yeah. ago <laughs> But if, if you're doing that and you're like, oh, my my favorite thing in the world is going to amusement parks and clowns, and this person whom you're intrigued by shows up dressed as a fucking clown and takes you to the amusement park, holy shit. Like, they actively listen to what you have to say. Now, I hate clowns. I love amusement parks. I love me a juggalo. Yeah, well, I see people like But I've seen... If someone does that, if there's just so much, there's so much respect. And I, I dress, I think this is worth noting too, I dress relative to client aesthetic. Sure. Like I just shot a music video for uh, uh, a friend's son and he's an amazing like burgeoning artist. And it's like EDM and it's kind of like hardcore mumble rap. Like I didn't dress the way I'm dressed today. I was like an all black, but it was still fresh. It was my thing. Sure. I had checkerboard socks, but like it's the same thing. I'm going to take into consideration what they're into. If they say their favorite color is blue, I'm going to fucking wear blue. And they walk in and they're like, holy shit, Yo-Yo Ma's playing and you're in a blue suit and there's stage in the air. Wow. And they feel valued. They feel appreciated. They feel loved. They feel respected. And for some people, regardless of where they're at in their life, that's the first time 
they felt those things in a really long fucking time. And if you want to talk about setting a precedent for someone to sit down in front of the camera and be vulnerable with you and be open and receptive to you and give themselves in those moments to you, that's, that's a beautiful way to do it. But if someone comes in who loves cello and they look blue and I'm wearing fucking green and I'm playing death metal and they say they hate the smell of baked cookies and I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I love cookies and I'm baking them in the studio and munching them. I'm like, you said you love pastel. Get on that fucking primary red and let's go. And then my reasoning behind it is that I'm an uncompromising artist. No, I'm a fucking asshole. I didn't consider it. And I don't value the person in front of me. And I don't value their time and their humanity and their money. And there's no excuse for that shit. So it goes back to honoring and respecting the person in front of your lens, whether they're paying you or not. And I treat everybody the same. I think that's another big thing. I've seen that happen with photographers. I've been lucky to be an assistant to some really talented photographers. I've been unlucky enough to be an assistant to some really shitty photographers. And not in terms of their work. Their work was great, but in terms of who they were as people. You know? And someone comes in and they mill them and they diminish them and they treat them poorly and it changes it. So yeah, like, it's 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 an honor. And with it being an honor, it's a responsibility. Sure. We have a responsibility to do our very best for the people in front of us. And I also think that I'm in a different position than most people because photography saved my life. Like I was in a horrible place probably eight years ago when I picked up a camera again. I was fucking going through intense withdrawals. I was fucking suicidal. I was depressed. I didn't leave my house for two months. Like I was in bad shape. It was one of the lowest points of my life. I got a camera as a means to try and reconnect with myself. I still remember getting it. I still remember finally going outside and I lost like 30 pounds. I looked like a fucking scene from train spotting. <laughs> I walk across the street and there's this fucking lake and I'm shaking because I had agoraphobia and severe anxiety. I'm hiding behind my camera and it allowed me to go out. And then I walk across the street to the park and there's this beautiful crimson red sunset. It's reflecting off this glassy lake. Like I can feel the grass under my feet and smell the air and hear the birds. And I sat down and there's people around me and it was so weird being amongst people and there's families laughing and I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and it was like offensive. And I take this oh, the loving relationship. Yeah. I, like, I don't, I don't know. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> that's fucking weird. But I take this photo of this sunset and it was with a Pentax A3, this little crop sensor camera and a little nifty 50 on it. And I looked at it and I just started fucking crying. And I just started laughing and then I started crying and I'm laying in the grass. I, I was a crazy person. I looked like a fucking crazy person. People, those, they definitely took the kids off the playground and went away immediately and called authorities because I seemed so out of my fucking gourd. But for three months, I felt like I was drowning. And in that moment, I was able to take a full fucking breath. Yeah. It saved my life. Yeah. Literally, I would have, I would have died or killed myself. And I'm sorry if that's triggering for any of you, but that's my fucking story. Sure. And I have to own that for me. And so... That's how I honor this craft. This craft saved my life. It gave me a life. It gave me purpose. It gave me place. It gave me friends. It gave me love. It gave me family. It gave me fucking fulfillment. That's how I honor it every day. So when I see someone shitting on it, when I see someone using it as a cheap means to fucking make a quick buck, when I see someone exploiting people with it and through it, it makes me sick. I love this so much. This is an extension of who I am and I, I honor it. And no, you don't need to have this level of relationship but understand the power that you wield and what you can do with that power and honor that. Honor yourself, honor your camera, honor the person in front of your camera or the people 
And if you do that, if you give yourself to it from that point of view, I fucking guarantee you're going to love what you create and you're going to make fucking money and you're going to find success, but give yourself to it and, and fucking be passionate. And if you're not, you can put down your camera and that's okay. You know, but, but just really respect it. I think that's what it comes down to for me for so much of this. I talk with friends all the time and it's just in the world. I'm like, let's just, we don't have to love each other. We don't have to like each other, but respect it. Like respect the medium, respect the artists in this medium, respect the lineage of how we got here, respect the Peter Lindberghs and the Irving Pens and the Sarah Moons and all of these wonderful fucking photographers, respect your colleagues, respect your clients. Respect your uncle who sat in front of you so you could test out side lighting. <laughs> Operate and create from a place of love and respect and these other things will fall into place and you'll find your voice and you'll find your fucking art and you'll find your method and you'll find your peace. But give yourself to it and it will give back more than you could ever fucking imagine. But it all starts there. And without that, there is only without we change lives, we change people's perceptions of self. So if nothing else, we just allow people for a moment to feel sane in a world that that does not see people. And that's really fucking amazing. So do you find your voice, speak from your fucking voice, learn, love, fuck up, fail, make a mess of it all, and then make sense of that fucking mess, and then throw it all away and do it again. Because that's what this is all about. And hopefully you get to do something really incredible before, you know, you bite the dust. That's what we're all trying for. So yeah, this has been it's been great. And uh yeah, if you want to send hate mail, it's info at John. <laughs> Matt at Stone Tree Creative. I will respond. <laughs> I will be very passive aggressively, and I don't have anything better to do with my time at night, so let's fuck it up. So I'm gonna land the plane right there. I think that was a perfect way to end. Man, thank you for letting me do this. I, I'm so excited for this workshop. I can't tell you what it means for me to be here. Um, and steal everything from you. I and you said you had 75 lights. I only counted 73. I'm, I'm a liar. Um, and I've got two in my bag. Thank you, my friend. Cheers. Cheers.